I'd like to welcome everyone who is here, here in person. I'd like to welcome all of you who are watching online. If you are watching online, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know that you are online. And if you're not in our community, we'd love to know where you are watching this from. And so uh, we would just love to hear from you. Uh, Whether we're here in person or whether we're online, the goal of our assembly today is that as we leave this assembly, that we will be reminded of God's promises and that we will be renewed in our commitment to take the love and the peace and the grace that we have found in Jesus wherever we go this week and to whomever we talk to. As we get into our lesson today, I just want to reflect on some of the conversations that I've had with many of you. Many of you have stated how you long to get together again like we used to, like we did a year ago this time, where you don't have to wear masks, where the place is full, there's energy. You've talked about how you miss the singing. You miss being together, just being able to hug each other, being able to see each other's smile. I've also heard many of you refer to this past year as a journey. I've heard you talk about how everything seems more difficult. You've even used the words, it's like an uphill climb. You've talked about how this past year has been oppressive and difficult times. It's hard to even breathe. So perhaps this particular time could be the best time ever for us to actually study the Psalms of Ascent. I think that there's no time in my lifetime that I've been able to identify with these Psalms, Psalms of Ascent, like Now, Psalms of Ascent, there are 15 Psalms, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, and these Psalms would be sung by family groups as they walked up to Jerusalem to worship God at one of the three festivals that were on the Jewish calendar. These Israelites would be living most likely in in small hamlets, small villages scattered around that. And no doubt, they felt isolated living in their small little village. And they longed for a time when they could join in with thousands of others as they worshiped God, as they celebrated a special time of festival and feasting. They could gather with like-minded believers to worship in the temple of God there in Jerusalem. And so you would have young and you would have old. You'd have men and you'd have women. And they would start off walking together in family units on those dusty and and rocky roads that would take them from wherever they lived up to the city of David in the temple of Yahweh their God. Now, since Jerusalem was located on the top of one of the area's tallest hills, it was an uphill climb. Now, 
Now, if you were in Colorado, you'd call it a hill. But probably for us here in the Brazos Valley, we would certainly call it a mountain, the mountain of the Lord. But they would walk. They would walk along the path, and then it would start going up. I've been thinking a lot about this, uh, this experience, kind of trying to put myself into this. Uh, and and I, I imagine my family, if, if my family... Say, my family lived in Capernaum, and we wanted to go and to celebrate one of the festivals in Jerusalem, we would have to walk. So I'm being thinking, all right, what about my family? I know my dad. All right, my dad's 91, but he's someone who, who never wants to miss an assembly. You may have someone like that in your family. I don't know. Whenever the doors are open, he would be there, and so I know that he'd be there ready ready to make the walk. I'd probably work it out to where I could put my, strong, my growing grandsons, age 14, age 10, uh, 12, age 10, and maybe one of the younger ones as well, walking with my dad, their granddad, just to be able to make sure that he made it okay. I would probably put Sarah or suggest that Sarah walk with, with her daughter, our daughter, Lisa, and maybe our daughter-in-law, Tara. Maybe I would have our youngest grandchild, the one-year-old, carry him with us. I hope that you can kind of think through your family. What would it look like? You'd have to carry your food. You'd have to carry your water. You'd have to be prepared to spend the night on the way. From Capernaum, it would take about four days, I'm told. You would have to walk around 8 to 12 miles a day. The hills, the, the incline would get higher and higher and steeper and steeper. But the closer you got to Jerusalem, also the more people that would be joining you in this trail, in this walk towards Jerusalem. And as more people joined, I can imagine that the singing would get louder and louder. And these songs not only encouraged weary legs, but they also lifted weary hearts as well. These songs, these psalms of ascent, they reminded the pilgrims of many important doctrinal truths about life, truths about God. Truths about the spiritual journey that they were on and what it was like to live as the people of God in this world. Now, I don't know how you do. I imagine all of us have probably taken a climb at some point in our lives. It doesn't take a whole lot for me to start getting winded when you're walking uphill. And I found that for me, what I like to do when I'm walking uphill and I start to lose my breath is I'll, I'll pause a little bit and I'll look up there and I'll say, there's a rock. And if there's anybody with me, we'll talk about it together. That's going to be our goal. Let's make it to that rock and then we'll pause for a rest. And so we'd walk and we'd get to that rock and oh, we'd finally get a chance to rest, maybe catch our breath. And then we'd look up on the trail and we'd say, all right, see where that trail Let's walk to the bend in the trail. And then we'll stop. 
We'll rest and then we'll continue on. You see, the journey of a pilgrim disciple today is the same. It's difficult. It stretches us. And there are times when we're tempted to give up, but God calls us to lift up our heads. God's telling us in these Psalms of Ascent, I know that life is hard. And here are some songs to set your hearts on as you go. Here, here are some rocks and, and on, the, on the road. Make it to the rock. And when you get to the rock, there's going to be a path. Make it to the path. And before long, by walking to the rocks, by walking to the bends and the path, before you know it, you are there at the summit. Yes, these songs are help for the weary and their instructions for the heart. And this morning we're going to be in Psalm 120. And this is the very first of the Psalms of Ascent. And this psalm is describing the reality of the pilgrim disciples' point of departure. It's a song that tells us about the motivation for the journey. This is a song that expresses dissatisfaction with where they are and a longing for something that's better, whatever the cost. It's called a leaving song for the pilgrim disciple. And it says, this is where I am and there is nothing for me here. I can't stay here. I first fell in love with the Psalms of Ascent about 35 years ago. I bought this book. I had no idea what I was looking at, but it's a book called The Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson. And this book really helped form my understanding of discipleship and, and this walk towards God, the Psalms of Ascent. I can remember reading it in many places years ago. It's still in my mind. Eugene Peterson writes this book, Discipleship. The, the subtitle is Discipleship in a, distant, in a Distracted and Instant Society. And part of the book, as he talks about Psalm 120, he says this, a person has to be thoroughly disgusted with the way things are to find the motivation to set out on the Christian way. As long as we think that the next election might eliminate crime and establish justice, or another scientific breakthrough might save the environment, or another pay raise might push us over the edge of anxiety and into a life of tranquility, we're not likely to risk the arduous uncertainties of the life of faith. A person has to get fed up with the ways of the world before he, before she acquires an appetite for the world of grace. This heartfelt dissatisfaction with life as it is actually plays a very essential role in our journey toward God. It's important for us as believers to feel this strong urge to leave. You see, because God knows that without 
without turning our back on where we are, it's really possible and very likely that we will actually live with a divided heart. I remember reading in the book of Numbers. I got to chapter 11. And this passage there in the first part of Numbers chapter 11 jumped off the page at me. I had to go back and I had to rethink it. You see, in this particular passage, it's the Israelites, and they've been rescued from slavery, 400 years of slavery, and Moses has led them to this point. They've seen God's hand, God's powerful hand through the plagues. They walked on dry land when God parted the sea. God provided water out of a rock for them to drink. God provided food every morning in manna. And yet, as they began to walk in the wilderness, they began to get bored with the scenery. They began to get irritated with Moses' leadership. They began to think that the manna was starting to taste bland. And they began to think back to Egypt to when they could go to the Nile and fish or when they could eat some vegetables that grew in their garden. And they actually began to grumble and mumble and say, oh, if only we could go back to Egypt. And I remember reading that and thinking, what? Go back to slavery? Go back to oppression? And yet that's what they did. You see, the first step on the journey of the pilgrim disciple is to be totally dissatisfied with our present existence and for us to long for something better, for us to to hear that invitation of God. We examine our text today, Psalm 120, the very first of the Psalms of Ascent. We notice that the psalm begins with a call of distress. And it ends with the word war. And the psalmist offers two reasons for being distressed and eager to leave. The song says, I'm living in a culture of lies. I'm living in a culture of deceit. And it also says, I'm living in a culture of discord and anger. Now, of course, this was written a couple thousand years ago. And I'm sure it doesn't apply to us today, right? Oh, my goodness. It's the same thing for us. So in verse 1, the psalmist calls out. He says, I call on the Lord in my distress. It begins with a simple prayer. Help me, God. And God answers the prayer. Verses 2 and 3 describe this culture that he's living in, lying lips and deceitful tongues. And the conclusion is is that I live in a culture of lies. Now, for those of us who are familiar with the Bible, we shouldn't be surprised at this because Satan's strategy has always been to distort truth. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 3, right there at the beginning of the Bible, Satan goes and he begins to weave this narrative that 
to Adam and Eve and to say, you know, God really doesn't want you to eat of that fruit because if you do eat it, you will be like God. Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. He says that his native language is actually lying. So our journey toward the kingdom of God always begins with the painful realization that what we had assumed was the truth is really, in fact, a lie. And so this song, it, it begins with this prayer of desperation. One paraphrase says, deliver me, O God. They smile so sweetly, but they lie through their I love what Eugene Peterson writes in his book. He says, rescue me. Rescue me from the lies of advertisers who claim to know what I need and what I desire. From the lies of entertainers who promise a cheap way to joy. From the lies of politicians who pretend to instruct me in power and morality. From the lies of psychologists who offer to shape my behavior and my morals so that I will live long, happily, and successfully. From the lies of moralists who pretend to pervert of my faith. From the lies of pastors who get rid of God's command so you won't be inconvenienced in following religious fashions. Rescue me from the person who tells me of life and omits Christ, who is wise in the ways of the world and ignores the movement of the Spirit. You see, just like in Genesis 3, all of these lies look like the truth. And really, they're all the same rep representation they're, I'm sorry, they're all different representations of the same lie. And here's the lie. You can have a full and a meaningful life apart from God, your creator. Now, these lies that are, that are abundant in our culture, they're not loaded with errors. They're... They're, e they're not loaded with easy-to-spot distortions. You see, these false narratives come disguised as truth. But they're lies. They're lies that entice us to take our eyes off of our Creator and look at ourselves. They claim to tell us who we are, and yet they omit everything our, about our origin in God and our destiny in God. They talk about the world without telling us that God made it. These lies tell us about our bodies without telling us that they're temples of the Holy Spirit. They speak of love without telling us about God who truly loves us and gave himself for us. Now, if you think about it, it makes sense. You see, in a world that has rejected God, there is no truth. Because in a world that has rejected God, we all make ourselves God. And if we have made ourselves God, then we will make our own truth. 
But it's not just the lies that we find in Psalm 120. In a world that has rejected God, there is no peace. Because if there is no loving creator, then the prevailing law that drives the action that everyone lives out is the law of survival of fittest. And we see this in verses 4 through 7. The psalmist, he cries out in distress because there's ugly discord. This song speaks of selfish tribalism resulting in anger and even war. Notice in the text that he talks about the burning coal of the broom bush. Well, we may not be familiar. What, what does that mean? Well, it turns out that the broom bush is actually the wood that they used to make weapons because it burned so long and the coals were so hot. And so, in effect, they're saying that more and more weapons are going to be made and greater and greater destruction can be expected. We see reference to Meshach and Kedar, little-known cities that are on the edge of the known civilization for them. So what it's saying is that, that they're so far away from the temple where God dwells, and they're so far away from the impact and the influence of the people of God. And, and this song ends with the psalmist saying that even when I try to talk about peace, the people around me are constantly driven by desire for power and control, and they even point to war. And that's how the song ends. Now, it's not a really warm and fuzzy song. It's not necessarily a song that you'd put on your playlist on that afternoon that you sat on the couch and covered yourself up with a blanket on that cold and rainy day. It's a harsh song. It's a song of someone who wants deliverance from the lies and from the discord that is around them. It's a realization that a life without God may at times look good, but in reality, that kind of life is really cruel, it's lonely, it's unfulfilling, and it's hopeless. It's the song of a person who stirred to leave a broken world in search of a place where there's the peace of God and where our Creator reigns. This song, this song, Psalm 120, is actually a poke in the chest to get moving. Because this is not what God intended. Now, the churchy word for this psalm, if you were to put a, a title around it, the churchy word would be repentance. Now, sometimes we think about repentance as getting caught for doing something we shouldn't have been doing, and there's feelings of guilt. But actually, if you go back to the original language... Repentance is actually turning away from what alienates us from God. It's, it's this leaving the lies and the hostility of the world as we begin our journey to God. The psalmist says, God, deliver me. And that's the prayer that we all should have. And I love it that it says, and God answered me. Now, as the early pilgrims journeyed to, Jesus, 
to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, it must have been a glorious time for them. Being with all these others who have like-minded faith and allegiance, being able to celebrate the festivals, being so close to God. But I started to think, I can imagine, what would be the feeling when it came time for them to go back home? Not only would they leave the fellowship of like-minded believers, but they would walk further and further away from God who was there in the temple. Can you imagine what that must have felt like for them? You see, they left, but God stayed there in the temple. When we read it, we know the rest of the story. When we read it, we know what happened on that on that. Passover, where a man named Jesus was hung on a cross. This man named Jesus who, who came from heaven to earth, not for God's own benefit, but for our benefit. Jesus became flesh and lived among men. Jesus willingly went to the cross not for his own sins, but for our sins to be delivered from the punishment of spiritual death that would await us. And this, this wonderful thing that happened just three days later when the tomb was empty and the cry went out that he is risen. You see, we know the rest of the story. Jesus, before he, before he left, before he went to the cross, Jesus said, now when I go, a comforter's going to come. And Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. And that's what happened. As, as Jesus ascended into heaven, it made it possible for those of us who were followers of Jesus, who were disciples of our Lord, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we actually have the Holy Spirit within us. Now, you think of it back then, they would actually go to the temple to worship God because that's where God was. But what about us? Did you ever think of it, that you actually bring God to church through the Holy Spirit that's living inside of you? That wherever you go, we have the promise of Jesus that he is with us. As Jesus ascended into heaven, he looked down at the disciples and he said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. You see, our Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And so as we read this psalm, Psalm 120, we have a, a much more beautiful picture than they would have had when they read it back before Jesus. We know that wherever we go, 
we are able to take the glory of God with us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So I don't know what it is that you've brought with you today. I don't know if you've got a burden. I don't know if you've got a longing to to escape this culture that you know is not right. I don't know if you would like to have a conversation with Jesus. Some of you might even want to begin your walk with him in a public way through baptism. But what I hope and I pray is that all of us will leave here knowing that we have been blessed beyond measure through the grace of God seen in Jesus. And I pray that as we go out and we live this week, that we will realize that God is going to use us as as instruments, as ambassadors to show the love of Jesus and share the good news that Jesus is alive and God lives through the Holy Spirit. What a blessing that is.